Good morning, church family. It's good to see you this morning and join you in worship on this Sunday morning. And uh, what an unusual time to have two Sundays. Uh, sometimes we go years without having a Sunday off due to winter weather. And our uh, temperature is usually pretty mild here in the south. But it is exciting to be able to join you. At least we could come together uh, virtually this morning and join you in worship. Uh, I invite you to take your Bibles to the book of Mark chapter 4. Uh, today was supposed to be the beginning of our brand new uh, theme and uh, brand new sermon series. And because of doing that, doing virtual church this weekend, uh, we are pivoting and we're going to do that next Sunday. And so we'll launch our brand new series and uh, theme next Sunday morning. And do not miss that. Uh, let me encourage you to do everything in your power. Uh, when they say, Lord willing, and the creek don't rise, uh, Lord willing, it doesn't snow. Um, next weekend, uh, I want you to be in church and uh, look forward to uh, joining our church family all together. But Mark chapter 4, we're going to in, in uh, verse 21 this morning. Today we're going to look and tackle four parables. They're each short, uh, very short clips. Uh, and we're looking at the subject, Unstoppable Church. And you know, our text is designed for help to help us see God is on the move. And what a joy it is to join him in that process and what he's doing and helping make disciples uh, of every tribe, tongue, and nation. This morning, as we uh, look at these four par parables, it reminds us of the unstoppable growth of the gospel so that we can join God in what he's doing in reaching the unreached people groups around the nations of the world. And when the church makes disciples uh, like Christ has commanded, what happens is the church is unstoppable. Last week we were uh, looking at the parable of the sower and we looked at the four different types of soil. And, but when we sow, when we go and sow, the kingdom of God ultimately will grow. And uh, a parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning we looked at last week. And uh, they're used uh, in order to really to teach a, a spiritual truth. And uh, here Jesus uses uh, four different metaphors to explain the growth of the gospel. We'll see, first of all, the lamp that helps us see that we're to, to glow and we're to be uh, shining the light of Jesus to a dark world. Uh, we'll look at the measure that urges us to know uh, the truth of the gospel and hide God's word in our heart. Uh, the plant reminds us that it's normal uh, for followers of Jesus to grow in our relationship with Christ. And then we'll look at the, the parable of mustard seed finally, and it demonstrates that our faith will show others uh, who God is and they see Christ in us. And the progression goes from glowing to knowing to growing and then showing others uh, who, who Christ is. And so when the church of Jesus Christ understands our relationship and how God uses the church to help build the kingdom of God, the church of Jesus Christ is unstoppable. So let's look at that very first one. We're going to dig into verse uh, uh, Mark chapter 4, verse 21, and see how we're to be glowing. He says, He said to them, unto him, uh, Is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed, and not on a stand? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. The picture here is of an oil lamp and uh, we have an old antique lamp. I had planned to bring it in person uh, uh, when we were meeting in person. And uh, but we have an old antique lamp that was my wife's grandparents. And, you know, years ago, it was the, the main source of light without before electricity. And you can imagine back in biblical times, they had these oil lamps and 
they would put them in different places, maybe on a table or on a cabinet, and it would bring light into the entire house. And uh, it was there to dispel the darkness. It'd be totally absurd to put that lamp under a table or under a bed or in a basket. And, uh, you know, um, uh, as a child in Sunday school, we used to sing a, a song about hide it under a bushel. No, I'm going to let it shine. We're going to let our light shine for Jesus. And that's what this very text is telling us. The main application, though, is Jesus came as the light of the world to dispel the darkness. Notice the phrase in our text, brought in. In the original uh, text, it reads this way, is a lamp come into the house. Christ was hidden from many at the beginning, but is now manifest to the entire world. And that's exactly what it says in John three nineteen. It says, the light has come into the world. And the people love the darkness rather than the light. Why? Because their works or their deeds were evil. The secondary application is that you and I are called to shine the light of Jesus to others. Philippians 2 verse 15 says, In the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. Does that not describe the day and age in which we live here in this world? Unfortunately, some of us are not shining because we're too busy sinning. And instead of exposing deeds of darkness, we're enjoying the darkness. Verse 22 uh, reminds us that nothing is hidden except uh, to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. If you remember the Old Testament story of Achan, his sin was eventually exposed in Judges chapter 7. In Numbers chapter 32, uh, if you grew up in Sunday school or your parents were, were Christians, it says, be sure your sin will find you out. Uh, we were told that over and over, along with honoring your parents and your father and your mother. And 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 5 says that the Lord will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. What is he saying? What is concealed now will be revealed later. So if we want to keep glowing, if we want to shine the light of Christ, we've got to be in the word of God. We've got to, and so he goes on, he says, we're to continue knowing. That leads us to the second parable and it begins in verse 24. These verses help us see more, the more we listen to the, the teaching of the word of God, the more we listen to the Holy Spirit of God, the more we will learn and become more like Jesus. He says in verse 24, he said to them, pay attention to what you hear. With what measure you use, it will be measured to you, and still more will be added to you. For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Every time that we receive God's word with eagerness and openness, God gives us more. Don't you love that? When you dig deep into the word of God and you're seeking to know him and to hear him speak, it's a reminder to pay attention to our eyes and our ears and the things that we're you know, taking in. Uh, look at what you hear. Be careful, little eyes, what you see. Be careful, little ears, what you hear. The song said, Luke chapter 8, verse 18, Jesus says, Take care then how you hear. It's the parallel passage here with this passage here in Mark chapter 4. We're to take heed the things that we're listening to, the things that we're taking in, and we're to be gatekeepers about what goes into our hearts and our minds. Paul reminds us in 2 Timothy, excuse me, 2 Corinthians rather, chapter 10, verse 5, take every thought captive. Why? To obey Christ. We're to take these things captive. 
If you have a high capacity for knowing, God will pour knowledge into you. If we bring a big bucket, God is going to fill it up. That's why I say, and, and he'll give us even more. In fact, if you come to church on Sunday expecting God to do something in your life, you are going to receive a huge blessing. And, and on the flip side of that, you come and you're just kind of angry and, and, and ticked off and mad at God or mad at the preacher or mad at your spouse or you've had a fight with your kids that week and you're just like in not a frame of mind. I'm telling you, you go in and you expect, I just, I dare you to impress me. I dare we're not going to receive a blessing if we're not coming expecting God to show up, expecting God to do something in our life. And, and Isaiah 55 verse 7 says that God will not only pardon, he abundantly pardons us. I love that because when we want to know the truth of God's word, he sets us free and releases us from the bondage of sin. Malachi chapter 3 Verse 10 tells us that when we honor God with our giving, and by the way, uh, a tithe is a good place to start, but we put him first in our finances, he opens the windows of heaven and pours out blessings so great that we can't even receive it all. In fact, in some translations say that there would be no more need. And imagine what would happen if we truly understood a new God in such a way that we trusted him completely and wanted to give everything uh, to him and, and, and give back to him. If we are, have a distracted capacity though for knowing, our knowledge will be diminished. In fact, the end of verse 25 says, from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. It's obvious and profound. If you want to know, you'll know. If you don't want to know the truth of God's word, you won't. Maybe, maybe another way of putting it is people do what they want to do. Now think about this. Eric Raymond wrote an article for the Gospel Coalition entitled The Modern Man and His Fantasy World. Here are some highlights. I've noticed a, a trait he says, particularly among men, where faith is impeded. He says, I'm talking about a cultural fixation upon fantasy. He says, men are giving themselves to something that they can see but is not real. However, with Christianity, we give ourselves to something that we cannot see but it's actually real. Here are three fantasy worlds that men are giving themselves to. He says, first of all, men often give themselves to pornography, which God's word says is sin and it, it, it is sinning against God and it gets our, our spouse uh, pornography is wrong. Uh, there's also fantasy sports, and that's it's a, a fantasy world. And, and then video games, it takes you into a completely different world. We find that he said that men are reluctant and stagnant in their Christianity because they're thriving in a fantasy world, in a virtual reality world, in a make-believe world. And it's a shame that many men are far too busy conquering fake lands looking at fake women and winning fake championships to follow Christ's path of self-denying, cross-bearing service. This morning, if you live in a fantasy land, you will not grow in your faith. You say, Pastor David, is, is looking at pornography wrong? Absolutely. Uh, I say, well, Pastor David is, is doing an, a uh, fantasy football league, uh, a sin. No, it's not. 
But if it consumes us and, and we spend all of our time consumed uh, with, with video games and all of these things, it can become an idol. It become, can become a God. And we begin to put all of our time and attention into things that aren't real. And, and our faith then, we say, well, you know what, I, Pastor David, I just don't have time to read the, the Word of God. Really? That's an interesting statement because I would dare say if most of us took our phones and on Sunday morning, it's kind of interesting, it's the first day of the week, my phone gives me a little update on how many hours average per day I've spent on social media, on, on the internet, or playing games or, or whatever, and it gives you an update. And I'll be honest, it, it's pretty convicting. I mean. Uh, in fact, this year, one of my goals, uh, not really a uh, resolution, but one of my goals is to spend less time on those devices and on online and more time engaging in world relationships with people that, that, that matter. But as a pastor said that most American Christians are educated way, belong, way beyond their level of obedience. We must obey what we know, and then God will give us more. What measure are you using? Make sure it's big enough that God can add even more. God can give you even, can give you even more. And if you want to know him, you will. Galatians chapter 6, verse 7 says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap life eternal. So there's glowing, there's knowing, and he goes on and, and it progresses into growing in verse 26 through 29. Some of us have heard hundreds, if not thousands of sermons in our lifetimes, but why does it seem like so often it brings about such little change in our life? Why don't we see more growth in our walk with Jesus? See, in the parable of the growing plant, we're reminded that there's a mystery about how growth happens. Verse 26, he says, the kingdom of God is as if a man would scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and it grows, and he knows not how. The earth just produces by itself first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. One of the tasks for Christ's followers is to sow the seed of the word of God. And if a man should scatter seed on the ground, as if a man would scatter seed on the ground, he says, the seed is sown but the sower can't make growth happen. Now listen closely here. He doesn't dig up the seed to see if germination has taken place. He may water it. He might remove the weeds, but he doesn't touch the seed. We can sow, but we can't make the seed sprout. No matter if the farmer is sleeping or doing something else, the growth of the seed is ultimately in God's hands. He sleeps and rises night and day, the word says, and the seed sprouts and grows. The farmer goes throughout his daily routine without exerting any extra energy to make that plant sprout. According to the last phrase in verse 27, 
Things grow, but he knows not how. It's a good reminder to me that the gospel message can't be manipulated. It can't be managed. It can't be marketed. The seed of the gospel grows, and he says, we don't know how. God does the real work in salvation. Aren't you thankful for that? We can't take the credit for the growth. We cannot make it grow. We can't even explain how it grows. But the statement describes the organic growth that explodes underground, leading to the impressive growth above ground. In fact, verse 29 says, shows us that the sowing eventually leads to harvesting because that's when the seed takes root and ultimately it produces fruit. Galatians 6, 9 says, let us not grow weary in, while doing good. For in due season, we shall reap if we do not lose heart or do not faint. Hudson Taylor was a missionary to China. He used to say that there are three qualifications of a missionary. He said, patience, patience, and patience. And here's how I would summarize this par parable. Our part is to sow. God's part is to make it grow. I love that. And the growth may be, might be slow, but eventually it grows. Paul gives uh, reference to this in his uh, letter to the Corinthians. He says, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 6 and 7, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So no matter he who plants or he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. Glowing leads to knowing, which leads to growing, and finally to showing. Verse 30 to 32, our last few verses here, the final parable, we see the smallest seed grows into the tallest plant or shrub. In verse 30, it says, he said, with what can we compare the kingdom of God? Or what parable shall we use for it? It's like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown on the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Yet when it's sold, it grows up, becomes larger than all the garden plants, and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. In order to compare how the kingdom of God works, Jesus focuses on something that's very, very small. It's interesting to say Jesus didn't say the kingdom comes like a gigantic mountain or a rushing river. He says, but like a seed that's so small, it's hard to even see. Those who were listening were expecting the kingdom of God to be this giant cataclysmic bang where judgment would be immediate and Messiah would set up his glorious reign here in Jerusalem. I'm told that it takes about 750 mustard seeds to make up a single gram, and there are about 21,000 seeds in an ounce. We're talking microscopic, but look at what happens. Yet when it's sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants. In other words, it's one of the smallest seeds that you'll sow. It grows into one of the largest plants in the garden. The smallest to the largest. The mustard bush becomes a shrub-like plant that, that looks like a tree, some growing as high as 15 feet and has branches that the, the, the birds will land on and, and find shelter in the branches. When the seed was planted, it looked like nothing much was happening. In the early days of the church at Acts, there were just a few followers of Jesus. 
In Acts 1.15, there were about 120 devoted believers. But on the day of Pentecost, over 3,000 people were saved at one time. Short time later, over 5,000 came to Christ at one time. Not too many days later, the church in Jerusalem was said to number over 50,000 people. You say, Pastor, what's the application? You see, the growth of the gospel still continues on today. The church of Jesus Christ is unstoppable. Revelation chapter 7, verse 9 and 10 describes a time in the future. It says, after this, I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne, before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice saying, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. It's a great reminder for us not to look down on the little, the least, and the lost. In fact, Zechariah chapter 4 verse 10 says, not to despise the day of small things. God loves to take what appears to be insignificant and do amazing things with it. Notice the mustard seed puts out large branches. The birds of the air can make nests in its shade. It's a reference to how the gospel ultimately travels around to every tribe, every tongue, every nation. God uses his church to shine and show the gospel message to a lost and dying world. When it, and he does it, it provides comfort wherever it's germinated. When people are saved in a society, change, rapid change, miraculous change take place. Uh, a society who uh, comes to faith in Christ, compassion, morality begins to spring up. Hospitals and schools and orphanages begin to take root. Cannibalism is destroyed. Polygamy is pulverized. Child sacrifice is ended. Let me encourage you this morning, make sure you're glowing. Don't stop knowing and understanding the, the word of God. Keep growing in your faith and make sure you're showing others how to come to faith in Jesus Christ. Together, we can be a part of the unstoppable church. Jesus says in Matthew 16, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. What could God do through Calvary Riley Church to allow us to reach our city and the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Think about that this morning. As we conclude, as we wrap up, as we prepare for the week ahead, what can God use us to do to glow, to, to, to know him better, to grow in our faith and to show the gospel to a lost world that's desperately in need of a savior? Let's pray that God uses us in such a way this week. Heavenly Father, this morning, would you allow us as a church to understand that, Lord, these parables are here to help us know you better, to in a better way apply the truths of your word uh, to the daily practice of our, our lives. God, I pray that as a church, we would be that unstoppable church. Lord, the one that you use in such a supernatural way 
that the gospel is spread in our community, our neighborhoods, our, the marketplace in this area, this city, in such a way it begins to impact our, our, this whole region, our state, our nation. And ultimately, God, may you use this to impact the nations of the world. May those who do not know you as Lord and Savior, even that are watching this morning online or will watch over the, the coming days, Lord, may they come to a knowledge uh, of Jesus Christ, that you love us, that you died on the cross for our sin, and you made a way that we can be made righteous before God. Help them to call upon you today and receive you as Lord and Savior. For those of us that know Christ as our Savior, may we glow in such a way that people see Christ in us, the hope of glory. And we'll give you the praise and honor and glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Church family, we love you. We're excited about this coming week. I uh, hope you'll hopefully be praying and preparing for God to do great things in our church.